Hello, I'm Lori Crow, licensed massage therapist, certified Reiki master teacher, certified life and wellness coach, registered yoga instructor, and student of science pursuing a doctorate in neuroscience. Come journey with me. This podcast is all about the mind-body, integrating holistic practices and scientific information to give you various perspectives on mind-body healing. I will share anecdotal experiences with anxiety and depression, as well as information grounded in science. Remember, you are the navigator of your life, and you are your own healer. Some housekeeping and disclaimers before we begin. Encourage self-exploration and self-reflection, so I recommend having a journal or a notebook handy. I also want to frame my episodes around your questions and stories. So if you have something to share regarding the subjects that make up this podcast, please email me at healingcompasspodcast at gmail.com. You can be kept anonymous, so just let me know. Keep in mind that I am not a doctor or a therapist. You can also find me on Twitter and TikTok. The handle is Sway Narrow-Minded. This will be in the text of my podcast, so you can refer to it, as well as my link tree. Also, be sure to subscribe to my podcast so that you can stay informed of new episodes. If you are a holistic practitioner, mental health professional, or neuroscience professional yourself, let's team up. Let me know if you would like to be a part of an episode. I encourage collaboration and hearing different experiences and perspectives. If you feel suicidal or are having difficulties with daily functions and activities, please seek help immediately. There are resources out there and people who care. Please check my link tree, which is referenced in each episode, for links and phone numbers to helplines and professional help, as well as reference sources from my episodes. Keep in mind that healing journeys require some discomfort, and that's okay to step out of your comfort zone, but you are in control, and you can go at your own pace. Let's do some exploring, shall we? Back in the 2000s, the early 2000s, this is really dating me, I was getting into aromatherapy and I started selling uh, oils and incense at uh, various events and I was doing the monotonous desk job and I was getting tired of it and so I was trying to figure out, well, what do I love? What am I interested in? What are my passions? And aromatherapy was uh, something that stuck out to me. And so I was doing research and I realized that I wanted to find a way to not just learn about aromatherapy, but apply it uh, into practice. And so that's why I got into massage school. And I found a program that uh, included a separate spa program and had a whole course on aromatherapy. So it was a good long uh, course, a really good training that had a lot of information down to uh, the blending and math aspects of it and contraindications, of course, you know, beneficial for massage if you're applying to the skin. So that's how I got into aromatherapy. And I loved adding it to massage as well as just having so much fun creating my own blends at home. Everything from uh, air freshener to uh, soap to laundry detergent to cleaners. I really, really enjoy 
and still to this day still use essential oils uh, at home. I don't really utilize them as much in practice. I do offer them uh, in massage uh, as an enhancement if somebody would like them and I still really enjoy them. Um, so I wanted to give you an idea of where I'm coming from when it comes to aromatherapy and I used to teach a class on aromatherapy for the home and massage. So the first part of it was open to everybody and they can kind of learn, you know, the basics of blending and dilutions and safety and storing and where to buy. And then the second half was dedicated to massage therapists. So I'm going to be sharing some of that information with you today. Well, if you aren't aware of what aromatherapy is, uh, it is the use of essential oils for various therapeutic purposes, mentally, physically, and uh, the essential oils are extracted from plants, typically from the flowers, the leaves, the roots, uh, bark, and uh, they all hold their different uh, qualities and medicinal qualities. And there's been research, but I don't want to say significant research uh, because essential oils are not obviously regulated by the FDA. But there has been uh, research out there showing that uh, aromatherapy can help improve uh, various physical and mental psychological functions. Uh, and I think it's even more fascinating to learn about some of the details, which I'm excited to share with you. Now, uh, a lot of people are just familiar with some of the companies that are out there, uh, more of your multi-level marketing companies like doTERRA and Young Living. Um, while some of the products are decent and I've done some of my research in it, I don't really support them too much. And I'm going to actually, uh, toward the end of this episode, I'm going to talk about uh, suggestions on where to buy and look what to look for when you're purchasing essential oils because it's not kind of a, ooh, this looks good, I'm going to grab it off the shelf and use it. You really kind of need to know the ins and outs of essential oils before you buy, uh, knowing that you're actually buying quality. So kind of a brief understanding of the history of essential oil. It has been used for medicinal purposes as well as perfumery and beauty products for centuries. Um, you would probably find like rose, sandalwood, myrrh, frankincense, cedarwood, and cinnamon being some of the more popular ones back in the day. Um, the roots of essential oil use stem back uh, to such regions as China, India, Greece, France and Egypt. Egypt is known to have been the creators of oil extraction methods via machine. China has been thought to be the first to use uh, essential oils for well-being purposes. Um, and in World War II, essential oils were used to help the healing process of soldiers' wounds. Um, and of course, I highly recommend not just applying essential oils to wounds unless you have the proper training. <laughs> so as I mentioned above, there are extraction methods. There's different types of uh, extraction methods for essential oils. And uh, it, it depends on the type of plant, the part of plant, uh, whether it's taken from the flower, the leaf, so on. 
uh, how easy or difficult it is to extract and how much of the plant it takes to extract enough oil. Like for instance, with a rose, I think, it, I believe it takes uh, 100 or sorry, 500 petals to squeeze one uh, drop of rose oil. And so usually rose oil is fairly expensive and that's why you find it in a lot of perfumes. And so the type of extraction methods that you might come across are distillation, which is one of the most popular ones, either by steam, water, or hydro diffusion. Uh, then you have enfleurage, uh, expression, uh, which is kind of more your squeezing, and then maceration, and then cold expression. Um, so like I said before, each essential oil has its own quality and properties, and it can vary depending on its subspecies. Um, you know, like there's different types of lavender, for instance, and the region where it's grown and the environment in which it's grown, uh, the part of the plant from which it's extracted and the method of the extraction. Uh, for instance, French lavender will have a different use, a different purpose than spike lavender. Uh, oils are best extracted from plants in their native land. Therefore, uh, essential oil or EO suppliers know how to research and gather test results from different oils around the world for the purest and most effective batches. So they do go through a process. Uh, so batches of oils can also vary in quality and potency due to the climate never being the same. It's always shifting, always changing. And sometimes you might see certain oils, uh, the cost of them goes up and that's because maybe they had a bad crop, uh, they had you know flooding or just something uh, naturally occur uh, that is not bringing the amount or the quality of the plants used for the aromatherapy for the essential oils. So let's talk about blending. So when I say blending, that means taking, you know, a few, two or three, maybe four essential oils and blending them together. Now there's a few things that you want to look out for when you're blending. One, of course, the scent, the smell. Does it smell good together? And so you kind of have to smell them um, from their uh, bottles uh, all together at once. And you have to know too that some essential oils have a stronger smell than others. So you might want to hold the stronger smelling ones a little bit lower. And that'll kind of get you to know that you'll probably want to add less of the stronger smelling essential oils and then maybe more of the less stronger. And while I'm on that, let's talk about notes. So uh, the scent notes. So there's a top, middle, and base note when it comes to scents. And so with essential oils, it's very beneficial to have at least a top, a middle, and a base note. The top note is something that's going to hit you right away when you smell it and then the the scent is going to kind of dissipate rather quickly the middle note kind of think of it as the glue that holds the blend together um, it really keeps uh, the top note lingering a little bit longer and then it keeps the bottom note from lingering around too much and it just kind of balances everything out. And then you have the base note, and the base note is going to be your your kind of lingering note that might not hit your, uh, your nose right away, but you'll kind of sense it as, as uh, time goes on. So 
it's hard to tell and there are some lists out there that help you but there's really not a a really good resource out there uh, that really can just lay it out for you as far as top middle and bass notes Uh, a lot of it is going to rely on your nose and when it comes to that as well uh, I'm going to talk about what are called terpenes here in a second so I'm saying this so I don't forget to mention it but I do want to go back to the blending part you don't want to overdo it so think of it as like a multivitamin usually multivitamins are really not that beneficial because they really they have too many vitamins and uh, the amount of each vitamin or mineral that's in it is really not doing you any good and so the same goes for uh, essential oils or uh, essential oil blends you don't want to add too many it gets too noisy the other thing is too is that it's going to start to cancel out some of the oils that are in it Uh, And so that's something to remember. Having an idea of what synergy is when it comes to blending with essential oils, you want to know that the essential oils that you're blending together are going to work synergistically and not counteract. So for instance, uh, something that works really good together synergistically would be lavender and peppermint for sore muscles, uh, for for physical pain for sore muscles because you're going to have the soothing, calming, warming lavender, but then you're going to have uh, the cooling effect of the peppermint, but peppermint and lavender work really good together. So... I could go on and on about um, the synergistic blends, but it is highly recommended to at least pick up a good book, if not take a course on aromatherapy, to learn a little bit more about the synergistic blending, to know that when you're putting this blend together, that you are actually going to have the beneficial effects that you are seeking for that blend. And I will be talking about uh, my recommendations, uh, sources for courses and and. Uh, a wonderful book that I absolutely love. So terpenes, I just mentioned that. Terpenes are your aromatic compounds that are found in a lot of plants. So think of when you smell fresh cut grass or think of a wonderful smelling flower and you smell it and you love the smell and maybe it even takes you back to a memory that makes you happy. Those are terpenes, and these terpenes go straight from um, whatever source it is through your nose uh, via the olfactory system. And the olfactory system is the quickest way to your brain, and uh, it resonates with memories. And so you may realize that when you're smelling something, you're like, oh, this reminds me of this. That, those are the terpenes speaking to you, and it's so fascinating. So terpenes are also important. And so if you're making something for yourself or somebody else, you kind of have to play it around terpenes as well. So not only do you want to focus on a synergistic blend that's going to work well together and it's going to have the effective properties, you also want to make sure that the terpenes are going to be beneficial to you by smelling it and it is giving you that sensation that is whatever you're seeking whether it's like invigorating or calming or soothing or gives you a good memory so those are important to look for as well because if you enjoy the scent 
the blend is going to be more effective for you. So whether you're just using one essential oil or a blend, you also have to understand the dilution rates. And there are different uh, amounts of dilution that you would want to use. And when I say dilution, typically you're going to mix it with something that is going to mix well. Obviously oils and water don't mix, so you probably don't want to mix with water, but either a base oil or something like witch hazel, which is very beneficial. If you want to use it for perfume, cologne, uh, I would highly recommend you can use witch hazel, but if you wanted to linger a little bit longer, using rubbing alcohol would be your best bet. But keep in mind that rubbing alcohol does have its own distinct and pretty strong smell, so be careful, be mindful of that. So now let's talk dilution. So whether it be just one essential oil or a blend, you it is very important that you are diluting it with something uh, such as sesame oil and coconut oil, things like that. Or you can use witch hazel uh, if you want to use it as like an aromatic spray. It'll help uh, keep the essential oils together longer and it kind of linger in the air a little bit longer. Uh, as well as uh, fragrance if you wanted to use it as a fragrance. Now you could also use alcohol. Alcohol is known to kind of hold all of the essential oils together uh, and help keep it uh, lingering on the body longer. However, Keep in mind that alcohol does have a very distinct, strong smell, so be mindful and careful of that. So dilution ratios, whether you're using just one essential oil or several um, in blending, uh, following these dilution ratios and any precautions with each of these is very important. I can't stress that enough. So I'm going to start with the lowest dilution ratio and work my way up. Uh, so we have children six months to six years. Uh, this would be less than a drop per four ounces of carrier oil. So I'm probably, you're probably talking uh, one drop per five plus teaspoons of carrier oil here. And of course, when it comes to this, please consult your doctor before doing this, especially if the child is under two years old. The next one up is for children six and up, uh, and then the vulnerable populations such as uh, women who are pregnant, uh, elderly adults, and those with weakened immune systems and with sensitive skin. You'll want to use a 1% uh, dilution ratio. So that's about one drop per teaspoon or five to six drops per ounce of carrier oil or carrier, whatever you're using. And then we have uh, what is ideal for most healthy adults would be 2%. So this is your very, very common dilution ratio, which is 2%. Uh, that's uh, two drops per teaspoon or 10 to 12 drops per ounce of carrier. And then the highest one is for temporary health concerns and topical applications application for muscle pain and injury and respiratory issues, this is at 3%. So that's about three drops per teaspoon, uh, 15 to 18 drops per ounce of carrier. And just again, making sure that you're following all these precautions and taking any training for anything else. But honestly, you should always be diluting 
um, in some way. It should never be applied neat. That is very important to know. And so when it comes to, let's say that you're using several oils, let's take the 2% the ideal for most healthy adults. Uh, it says two drops per teaspoon, but let's say that you have like a two ounce bottle. This says uh, 10 to 12 drops per one ounce of carrier. So you can double that for a two ounce bottle, right? Up to 24 drops. And then what you're gonna do from there is let's say that you have your top, middle, and base note uh, oils picked out. Uh, you want to determine, okay, well, I definitely want to go less with this one and more with this one. And so then you're going to divvy up the drops between those three. And so it's going to be give or take, of course, around 24, but you want to try to keep it within that, like uh, 22 to 24 drops per the two ounces, or like it says, 10 to 12 ounces uh, per, or sorry, 10 to 12 drops per one ounce. So the quick dilution math ratio, I'm just gonna throw it out here for you. The formula is you're taking the percentage of dilution times the number of ounces of the carrier that you're gonna be using, the oil or witch hazel or whatever, times six drops. So for instance, if you're using the 2% uh, dilution ratio and you have an eight ounce bottle and then you go times six, so two times eight times six, that equals 96. So that means you're actually putting 96 drops into the eight ounce bottle. And again, if you're using multiple oils for your blend, you would divvy up those 96 uh, drops depending on how you want it to smell. And you might have to play around with it a little bit to get that right smell because you want it to smell good, right? But you'd play around it with it without going over and that, that's tricky, and that's why training is very helpful. Okay, safety and storage. So let's talk about the storing your essential oils, and this is also going to help you when it comes to buying essential oils, and you'll be able to put two and two together here. So in order for the quality of your oils to last, which is typically about two years, maybe more, it is best to store them in a cool, dry, dark area. That's why you might see some essential oil kits in cases, uh, maybe even storing it in a closet or cupboard. So having a case or container for them is actually very handy, but you can also just store them in a cupboard or a closet, away from sun, away from heat, away from moisture, and also keep your oils in dark colored glass bottles. So if they're the pure essential oils especially, they should be coming in dark amber or dark blue bottles. They should not be clear because of the light. If the light is hitting the oils, they're gonna deteriorate faster. They're gonna weaken their, their potency and their properties a lot faster. You also wanna make sure that the lids are on tight. Uh, there are also special lids that have a uh, little uh, drop spout. Those are wonderful because it helps from evaporation and contamination and uh, and being able to drop the essential oils drop by drop, that can be very helpful. Uh, you don't want to cross-contaminate either, so you wanna make sure that no part of the lid um, is going to come in contact with anything else, the dropper part, the rim um, of the opening of the bottle. You wanna make sure that it is not coming in contact with anything else because you don't wanna cross-contaminate and so when essential oils are exp uh, 
oxidized, which means exposed to oxygen, they will react. And so that's another reason why you want to keep that bottle sealed um, is because if you just let it sit out, it is going to just start to react in the air. So that's how essential oils uh, react is by oxygen, getting the oxygen. Citrus and needle oils, so anything with the word needle in it, uh, oxidize faster than the rest. So keep that in mind that they can deteriorate more quickly. So I will point out here now, because I've been talking about it, the sensitivity to light and oxygen with essential oils or all oils for that matter. Uh, and you know, it's better that they're kept in a cool, dark uh, place as well as uh, in a darker bottle like amber or dark blue is I highly recommend not buying an essential oil off the store shelf and here's why is again it's being exposed to light for a long time as well as we don't know how long it's been sitting on that shelf and so we don't know how old that essential oil is and remember that their lifespan uh, dwindles pretty fast and so it might have a batch number on the bottle that you can pull up and see when the batch was made to see how old it is. I've walked into stores and I mean, they were higher end type of grocery stores and there were dust on the, sh there was dust on the shelves where the essential oils were. And that kind of told me, mm, well, things haven't been dusted in a while. And I just wonder how long these essential oils have been sitting here. So, uh, and they usually don't fly off the shelves every day. So I just wanted to add that in here. You will hear a little bit more about how to buy and where to buy here in a few minutes. So just because oils are from plants does not mean that they are safe. In fact, they are the most potent components of plants and most plants have toxic components. So never ingest essential oils. I've seen it in books, but if you don't have proper training, please don't ingest this essential oils. Um, many oils that you may think are very harmless actually can have very serious reactions and contraindications to using. Most oils, even the most soothing and safe, can be detrimental to one's health, especially if they have a compromised immune system, um, they're of the elderly population, children, animals, pregnant women. Please take caution when using essential oils for these populations especially. Do your research, and again, I cannot suggest enough proper training uh, before applying to anyone other than a healthy adult. Uh, also, many people have sensitivities and allergies, so you may like uh, lavender, and you might think, oh, everybody likes lavender. There's a lot of people that aren't necessarily allergic to it, but they do have allergies. There are people I've come across even that actually do have um, allergies to lavender, but people just have sensitivities to smells overall, so keep that in mind. Uh, so my suggestion is if you are going to be using these for anybody else that you are talking to them before applying or making a blend for them and advise them to do what's called a skin test. That means just putting it on just a small blot of your skin and leave it on there and usually wait a few hours just to see if there's any kind of a reaction before applying it anywhere else. <laughs> and if you're a massage therapist, 
please avoid using essential oils in your emollient unless it has been cleared with your client. What I like to do is I add in the EOs as I apply uh, the base oil or the base lotion, um, respecting that dilution rate, uh, ration. So I'm being very, very cautious of that. And again, don't apply the essential oils neat or undiluted onto the skin. They must be diluted at certain ratios depending on the person you're applying it to. Um, so some oils that are considered generally high skin irritants um, that should be used with extreme caution and an even higher dilution ratio, or I should say a lower, you know, lower dilution ratio would be uh, cade, uh, clove leaf, uh, even clove stem. We have parsley seed, thyme, cassia, verbena, cinnamon bark, cinnamon leaf, fennel, fig leaf, savory, both summer and winter, uh, clove bud, oregano, and terebinth. So again, I can't stress enough to educate yourself on contraindications and doing a skin blot test if it is going to be applied to the skin. Also, it's always wise to clear the room of a scent after you've used it for somebody in case you do have somebody else coming in the room. Let's say you are a massage therapist or an esthetician. If there are any lingering scents and the next client comes in, it could aggravate them. It could be an allergy for them. So what I like to use is a vinegar water spray and just kind of spray it in the room. And the vinegar, you smell it right away, but then it dissipates really quickly and it takes out all the odors. So I really like just using like a vinegar water spray to, to clear that out. Um, also, while we're on that, kind of clearing the palate, clearing the, the, the smelling palate, the olfactory palate, is let's say you are kind of testing out essential oils and you're smelling them and smelling them and then you're getting overwhelmed, you're getting a headache, you can't decipher what you're smelling anymore. It's really good to have um, coffee beans or even ground coffee and you take a sniff of it uh, as you are smelling the essential oils so that way it kind of clears uh, the smelling palette for you so that you can continue without getting a headache or uh, getting confused on what you're smelling. All right, so how to buy, where to buy. So let's talk about the different pieces when it comes to this aspect because I do have some information that might surprise you. First, let's talk about the label of an essential oil. So the label of an essential oil should list the various pieces of information that I'm gonna share with you. If it is not all on the label, you should be able to pull up the website uh, where you purchased it, purchased it from, the manufacturer's website, and if you pull up that oil, it should list that information for you. I know that uh, I believe doTERRA uh, does that along with the recommended companies that I prefer. So if it does not provide this information either on the label or on the website, I probably wouldn't recommend that essential oil or that company. So the information, there's five pieces of information that you want to, to look for on the label or on the website for the essential oil. One is the botanical name, so the general name. Example, lavender. 
Next would be the genus and species. So the Latin name for it and then the species. So lavendula is going to be your Latin term for lavender. But then what species is it? Which, which, which species is, is the lavender? It's augustifolia. So lavendula augustifolia. Then the extraction method such as steam distilled. And then where it was grown, where did it come from? What, uh, what region did it come from? Pakistan, as an example. And then the liquid volume, so 15 milliliters, as an example. So knowing who to buy from. Mm, okay, so even clinically licensed aromatherapists have difficulty buying from trusted sources, and many rely on requesting EO purity tests, uh, essential oil purity tests, which most of the larger companies can afford to do. Controversially, many aromatherapy experts demand that a reputable EO company should provide tests upon requests, but they are very expensive to conduct. It's a lot of tests to conduct on each batch. So imagine you get this huge batch of, of rose. Uh, you know, you need to be able to test the quality of it before you actually manufacture it. So that can be that can be expensive. You got to have the equipment and the means to do so. Uh, but it is very beneficial to look for that. Uh, also, uh, going back to this lavender and the the species, there's different types of lavender. So each essential oil has its own quality and properties and can vary depending on its subspecies, region, and the environment in which it's grown, uh, and the part of the plant from which it's extracted, and the method of extraction. So for instance, French lavender will have a different use than spike lavender. Pay attention to that. And oils are best extracted from plants in their native lands. Therefore, essential oil suppliers know to research and gather test results from different oils around the world for the purest and most effective batches. That's why if you go to a certain website, a certain supplier, and you notice, oh, well, right now their lavender is coming from Pakistan, whereas before it was coming from Italy or, you know, so you'll notice that they're not always from the same place because they're trying to get the highest quality uh, batches. So they shop around. Uh, so again, too, you have to pay attention to uh, the purity and potency. You may see something say pure grade essential oil. That means nothing because it is not regulated by the FDA. So they can slap on pure grade therapeutic whatever on a label of essential oil and that doesn't guarantee that it is um, a good test to do um, if you're able to smell it first is see if you can smell a hint of alcohol if you smell any kind of hint of alcohol you know it's not 100 percent pure it is taint tainted and uh, so oils can't be diluted or tainted with any other substance uh, to begin with. So um, again, uh, essential oil companies are uh, typically do these, these batch tests and you'll see, and that's another piece too, is that you'll probably come across the batch number on the bottle. It may not be on the same label, but on the bottle or when you pull up on the website, that is helpful because you can actually call up the company and say, hey, can I see the test uh, results for this batch? And you can actually see maybe if you can see any kind of um, any, 
I guess, contamination, so to speak. But usually if they're selling it, there shouldn't be any kind of contamination. So uh, the batch number is very helpful, very helpful. So uh, I prefer to recommend uh, smaller companies for a number of reasons. Uh, one, sm supporting small business. And two, uh, you also want to shop more locally. And here's the reason. There's two reasons why you want to shop more locally. So as local as possible. And I know it's not 100% easy to find someone in your neck of the woods per se, but as close as possible. So the two reasons why you want to try to buy uh, from a local supplier is one, it's going to be fresher. That means it's coming straight from their warehouse made you know, it's going to have the batch number on it. It's going to be kept in a cool, dry, dark area and shipped to you. And it is probably the freshest state that you're going to get it. Uh, secondly, is that local companies can also make local essential oils that are beneficial for allergies. So for instance, my favorite company that I like makes a Pacific Northwest lavender. And not only does it smell amazing, but it can be very beneficial to help ease seasonal allergies. So that's something to know. So I, if you are local to Tacoma, Seattle, Washington, or the Pacific Northwest, the two companies that I shop through that I prefer are Samara Botane. Uh, I'll have that in the text description for you as well as in my link tree. So Samara Botane, wonderful company up in Snohomish. They're the company that I uh obtained my very first essential oil kit through massage school and so I've stuck with them throughout the whole entire time and they have the best uh, labels and everything I really 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 like Samara Botane uh, and then there's Mountain Rose Herbs. This one's a little bit more common. You've probably heard of them. They're located in uh, Eugene, Oregon and so Mountain Rose Herbs is another wonderful local uh, company that I would support for sure. So I hope that this information has been valuable to you and that maybe you have gained some new information and that you will definitely find a way to use this in your life or for clients and other people, but doing it safely. If you have any questions, feel free to email me. The email is in the text of this episode. Thank you so much and be well. Mm -hmm.